I was ordained as a teaching elder in our denomination in November of 1999, First Pres Jackson, and I still remember that service. It was real moving for me. Uh, I think my dad gave me one of the charges. Uh, then I got to do a benediction at that big pulpit that I was raised in since I was six years old and always thought, what in, what in the world to be in that pulpit? You know, so I got to give a benediction. It was a moving experience. And I remember sitting in that service going, I will never sin again. You know, it's like, <laughs> I'm never going to sin. Like, I'm, I've reached a new pl plateau. Uh, and of course, that's utterly false. You know, we always lead with a limp. You know, we always depend upon Jesus' grace every single day. And, uh, and yet, yet there was this positive idea that I really want to be wholly devoted to God and what God is doing. And so it's always stuck in my mind there. Uh, we will ordain new officers on October the 31st, four new elders and two new deacons. And I've been thinking through this in a special way as I've been looking at Exodus 29, because it's a passage about consecration and ordination. And it, it's a laborious passage, as, as a lot of Old Testament passages can be. But as we look at that chapter, it is so moving. It colors what we do and beautifully elevates Jesus for us. So I want us to look at it for just a moment. You remember last week in Exodus 28, we saw that we need that high priest and his clothing colored for us all the ways that Jesus intercedes on our behalf and all that's involved in that. And this chapter, dealing with the high priest's consecration and ordination, shows us even more about what this high priest is that we desperately, moment by moment, need. So we're just going to read a portion of Exodus 29, and then I'll walk us through it and make some applications. So Exodus 29... Uh, verse 1. Hear God's Word. Now this is what you shall do to them to consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. Take one bull of the herd and two rams without blemish and unleavened bread and unleavened cakes mixed with oil and unleavened wafers smeared with oil. You shall make them a fine wheat flour. You shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket and bring the bull and the two rams. You shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them. All right, we'll stop there because I'm going to walk through everything that was involved. But let me read the end of the chapter. The result of all this. Verse 38 now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs a year old, day by day. Regularly, one lamb you shall offer in the morning and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. And with the first lamb, a tenth measure of fine flour mingled with a fourth of a hen of beaten oil and a fourth of a hen of wine for a drink offering. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight and shall offer with it a grain offering and its drink offering and as in the morning for a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting 
before the Lord will I will meet with you to speak with you there. There I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. And the grass withers and the flowers fade. And this beautiful word, it endures forever. Amen. So I got three points. First, the priest's consecration. Second, the priest's ministry's consequence. And third, the priest's culmination in Christ and his people. The priest's consecration, the priest's ministry's consequence, the result in our lives, and the culmination of the priest's ministry in Christ and his people. So first, the priest's consecration. I'm going to walk you through the chapter. There are five stages in the priest's, and in particular, the high priest's consecration and ordination. And before we get there, notice in verse 1, as well as in 28.1, the you there is singular, and you shall do to them to consecrate them. Um, God's speaking to Moses. Moses ordains and consecrates them. It's a singular you, and it just reminds us that it's by divine appointment. Uh, Moses represents Jesus in calling these officers. Okay, the five stages. First, there's a washing, a washing. Moses brings Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tabernacle and washes them with water. And he gets that water from the bronze basin, you remember? And you'll read about that in chapter 30. So he washes them fully at the entrance to the tents of meeting, head to toe. And they're wearing those linen boxers. So they're in the tent of meeting, he's washing from head to toe. And so it's a unique washing. Um, Furthermore, Moses is acting and the people are passive or the priests are passive. It's this once for all cleansing, a setting apart to the priest's role and that passivity and that Moses is doing it really symbolizes regeneration, new birth. It's like our baptism that symbolizes new birth. And so once they enter their priestly role, they're always going to be passing by that bronze basin, the priests are. And upon pain of death, they have to wash their hands and their feet every time they enter into the tabernacle proper. Those are limited washings. It's kind of like Jesus in John 13, looking at Peter, and Peter saying, I don't want you to wash all of me. And he goes, well, I've already washed all of you. I mean, you're clean in me, but I need to wash your feet. Those daily confession of sin and renewed appropriation of God's forgiveness. That's what's going on. You see, he's given them an overall washing. You belong to me. You're a new person. And yet, as they walk to the temple, you need to grow in sanctification and purify yourself from your recent sins and and, and appropriate my work on your behalf. So that's the washing. Second is the clothing. Clothing. Moses dresses them and 
in the priestly and high priestly garments, those holy and glorious and beautiful clothes. They don't just get dressed themselves. That's beautiful. Moses puts those clothes on them. And in this way, God symbolically invests them with the qualities they need for their calling, their office, the character and the gifting. And see, Moses dresses them in those holy, glorious, beautiful clothes because that symbolizes what they need to be in order to be able to represent the people. God is holy, beautiful, and glorious. And if he's going to bring the people into God's presence, they need to be holy, beautiful, and glorious. Yet even as he puts those clothes on, we know that that's the ideal. That's what he should be. But we know that's not the actual. We know that's not what he's really like. The clothes symbolizes that he's holy, set apart to God, that he's righteous, that he's a law keeper, and that he's therefore qualified to be the representative of the people. And remember last week, to carry the people on his shoulder into God's presence because they're heavy to have them on his heart because he loves them and God loves them, and to have them on his head because their guilt is imputed to him. Third, there's an anointing. So Moses anoints the high priest with this special anointing oil to be used only in the anointing of the high priest. You read about it in chapter 30. It's this incredibly expensive and wonderfully fragrant oil that you would be excommunicated if you used it for any other purpose. It was exclusive to the high priest. You remember Psalm 133. The psalmist is just overdone by seeing the the oil and the high priest going down his beard onto his clothes. It symbolizes so much for him. We have a mediator. And so it symbolizes God choosing and calling the high priest. It's the Lord who sets him apart and anoints him, separates him to the role. He doesn't just volunteer for it one day. God calls him. It also symbolizes God's endowing him with the Holy Spirit, equipping him with the character and gifting for his task, and then admitting him into the performance of his office. And so you see oil used in a host of ways in the Old Testament. Endowing, equipping, admitting. Well, fourth... Moses offers up three sacrifices for the priest as part of the consecration and ordination service. And so, you see, though they looked good and smelled nice, these three sacrifices tell us at core they're dreadful sinners. They're the sharpest dressed, most fragrant people in Israel, and yet in their heart, they're sinners like everyone else. There's this tremendous gap between their appearance and their aroma on the one hand and what they're like and their inward spiritual condition on the other. And their washing has already indicated that they are not the ideal yet, but the sacrifices sure present that in a visceral, upfront way. So the first sacrifice is a sin offering. And it's the biggest. So these big spiritual leaders, Aaron and his sons, have this big bull. It's as if they're not small sinners, they're very big sinners. And this is the first time the phrase sin offering has ever been used in Scripture, and it's for none other than the high priest. They're the chief of sinners. They lead as the chief of sinners. That's why they identify with the people as they represent them to God. And so you have this picture, the high priest and his sons in these beautiful clothes, 
laying their hands on the head of this enormous bull. And as they lay their hands on the head of this bull, they're saying, all my guilt is transferred from me and imputed and considered this bull's. So what's about to happen to the big bull is what should happen to me, but by the grace of God alone, it's going to be happening to this bull. You remember in chapter 28 that the high priest wore this headdress, this turban, and it said, holy to the Lord. And it said, because you're going to bear the guilt of the best works the people could offer, their offerings, it's going to, you're going to bear it on your head. Well, the only way he can bear the guilt of the people on his head, having imputed to him as the priest, is if all his guilt is transferred to this bull. And so that's what happens here. So part of the blood of the bull is put on the horns of the altar. The rest is poured at the base. The best parts are burned on the altar. The rest of it, importantly, is carried outside the camp. It's a symbol of uncleanness, and it's a symbol of cursing outside the camp. You couldn't eat this bull. All of it was atoned for sin and therefore is unclean and cursed. The second sacrifice is a burnt offering, and it's using one of those rams. So once again, Aaron and his sons, a second time, they gather around the head of this ram and put their hands on the head of the ram, transferring their guilt to this ram as well. And so the ram is killed. What's done to the ram should have been done to them. And the blood is thrown at the sides of the altar, the portion that didn't have blood yet on the bronze altar. Finally, the whole ram is cut up and arranged on the altar and burned as a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. The whole thing's burned up on the altar. It's not that God actually enjoyed the smell of the burned up ram, nor that God actually ate the flesh of the burned up ram. Rather, again, it's an overall atoning. And in particular, there's the idea of the worshiper ascending in the smoke of the offering up to the throne of God, being wholly devoted and dedicated to him and having fellowship with God. That's the symbolism. Third, the third sacrifice was unique to the priests. No one else ever had this sacrifice. So it was called a ram of ordination. So again, third time, Aaron and his sons lay their hands on the head of the ram. They transfer their sin to it. Then the ram is killed. Moses takes the blood. And what does he do with this blood? There's been a lot of bloodshed. What does he do with this one? He takes that blood, puts it on his hands, and he wipes it on the earlobe, the right earlobe of the high priest and the other priests. He puts it on the right thumb of the high priest and other priests. And then he puts it on the right big toe of the, right, of the high priest and the other priests. And you say, why in the world did they do that? Except that this ram, the ram of ordination, verse 21 says, is for their holiness, their purity. And so this symbolizes that the blood was for them entirely. And in particular, it said, your ear is dedicated to hearing my voice. 
and listening to me. I want your ear. And I want your hands. They are dedicated to working for me, doing things for me. I want your hands. And I want your feet. They're dedicated to walking in my law, walking in my pathway. I want your feet. They're mine. They're separated to me. What a visual. Then he puts the rest of the blood at the sides of the altar. Then he takes some of it, mixes it with that fine oil, and he sprinkles Aaron and his sons all those beautiful clothes, expensive clothes, now got blood all over them. And we certainly don't like that when that happens to us. You know, what's God saying? As beautiful as their clothes are, as much as they represent, because you're unclean, you're going to pollute your clothes. And I've got to set them apart by blood, even as I set you apart. Well, those are the three sacrifices. Along with that ram of ordination and the best parts of it, together with several types of bread, uh, Moses takes the best parts and the bread and puts it in Aaron and his son's hands. And so Aaron and his sons now have part of the ram and the bread in their hands, and they wave them before the Lord, saying, we're grateful and we praise you. Then Moses takes that meat and that bread out of his hands, and he burns it up on the altar. It's a burnt offering, saying, I ascend to you once again. But the symbolism, as I ascend to you, I'm not ascending to you empty-handed. It's not just that the people give gifts. I give my gifts in gratitude for your grace. Next, Moses takes a breast of the ram of ordination, the finest piece. And Moses takes that breast, and in the presence of the priest, he just eats it. And what's going on there is that Moses represents, is acting as Aaron's priest. And what he does is showing what God's going to do for the priest. And that God's saying, I'm going to provide for you through the sacrifices. You're going to have food to eat. I'm going to give you what you need to continue in your ministry, that provision of God. All right, the fifth step of the ordination and consecration. Moses boils the rest of the ram of ordination, and he serves it to Aaron and his sons as a sacred covenant meal. They eat a meal in the presence of God, just as they had eaten a meal halfway up the mountain and saw that sapphire floor and God enthroned, and now they get to eat in God's presence and have fellowship with him. It's a picture of just communion and fellowship and grace of God. Well, two more little things before we end this part, and that shows the anticipatory nature of what's going on here. The first is that Moses says, Aaron, your beautiful clothes are going to pass your son, because Aaron, you're going to die, but there always has to be a high priest to admit my people in my presence. The second thing God says is, everything we just did, we're going to do for a whole week, every single day. You're going to do all of this. If you thought homecoming week was busy, this is a tremendously busy week. And you imagine all the blood shed this week. It's as if God looks at them and says, you are so sinful that you need blood shed on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday and Thursday. To be my high priest, you need all of this. And it's also as if God looks at them and says, through this seven days of sacrifice, you're going to repeat creation week and you can follow the priest into my presence and come home again because of the blood of the lamb shed over a seven day period of time. 
So this week-long ceremony is their consecration and ordination. Consecration means to set apart, to separate, to make holy, to that task. They're also ordained, and they're equivalent terms here. Uh, but the word ordained literally means to fill the hand. It's a figurative use of the word. And it means to fill the hand for a number of different reasons. One is, oftentimes when someone was ordained for office, some symbol of their authority was given to their hand. Or some tribute was given. Like you get this as you execute your office. Notice they got part of the ram. But what I like especially is... You are going to be so engaged in your task. There is so much to do, and it's going to take all of you to do it that you have your hands full. It's to fill the hand when I ordained you for office. The word ordination in our text literally means setting and installation. It's the same word beautifully used for setting a precious stone in that gold villagery setting of his clothes. So just as you carefully installed that stone, even so, God's saying, I'm carefully installing my precious stones to serve as priests and high priests. So put it all together. To ordain is to set apart a person to office, recognize God has set him apart, to admit him to it, and then to invest him with the authority to fully engage in his responsibilities. Second point. These will be quicker. The priest's ministry's consequence, the results of it. It's not until Aaron and his priests are ordained that the, that the tabernacle can function. We don't just need the picture of heaven or the pathway to heaven. We need the person to take us there. And then specifically, as the end of our chapter said, what specifically happens is they start having morning and evening sacrifices. Every day in the life of Israel, the priests had a morning and evening sacrifice. And it's that burnt offering. And the fact that it was morning and evening means there was probably smoke burning all the time in Israel. Like constantly. And so every day the people smell that smoke and say, my sins are atoned for. And I'm ascending to God, even as the smoke ascends to heaven, devoted, dedicated to him, and welcomed into his presence to even sit at his table. Notice it was joined to a grain offering and a drink offering, symbols of joy and table fellowship. I'm ascending to God to enjoy communion with him. It's a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. Again, it's not that God enjoys the smell or ate the food. It symbolizes their approach to Him. So the sum of all this and the goal of all of Exodus in verse 45 and 46, I will dwell among the people of Israel and be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. It's about the most succinct little statement as he winds up all this to say this to them and really to say it to you. I did all that in Egypt so that I might dwell with you. In fact, I did all that for the tabernacle, priesthood, and sacrifices so that I can dwell with you. Like, I want to know you and be known by you. I redeemed you for relationship. And he concludes that whole section with his signature, I am the Lord their God, meaning I am Yahweh, your sovereign, personal, committed, loving, redeeming God. 
write it out. And that's my signature of how I want you to know me. Well, how about the culmination of all this in Christ and his people? Because all of them, all of this anticipates Jesus, anticipates the church. It, it always had you in mind. So let's think of Christ, us, and our officers. First, Christ, our true high priest. Well, Hebrews 5 says, like Aaron, Jesus didn't just volunteer for the role. God appointed him for it. And in Jesus' case, it's because he's the only one who can do it. The ideal meets the actual. And he's the beautiful clothes that can represent us to God. Jesus didn't need to be washed or born again because he was sinless at conception. Jesus didn't need beautiful clothes because that's what his character is like. Hebrews 1, Luke 3 says, Jesus was anointed for office. That's what Christ means. You see, at his baptism, he is washed, but he doesn't need to be washed. He washes to represent us in our sin, but he is anointed at his baptism as the Spirit descends like a dove upon him and equips him, enables him for his mission. Hebrews 7 says Jesus didn't need to make sacrifices for sin because he was sinless. It says Jesus is holy, innocent, unstained, separate from sinners. He didn't have to sacrifice for him and then the people because he didn't need it. Hebrews 9 says Jesus himself is the perfect sacrifice. In fact, Jesus is the bull who's taken outside the camp, Hebrews 13 says at the place of uncleanness, the rubbish heap of Golgotha, and the place of utter fire, God's wrath and judgment for your sin and your guilt. And he didn't present that blood in the most holy place on earth. He went up to heaven, the true tent, and offered his blood to the Father on our behalf. Hebrews 7 says he never dies. There's no provision for the next high priest. And therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God. We don't have to worry about the next regime. We have the priest who sympathizes and whose sacrifice is sufficient. And every day, he intercedes for you. Every day. Well, how about us? How about us? Jesus is our only high priest. He's our only priest. And that's good news for us. However... God called his people a kingdom of priests before he ever inducted Aaron into the priesthood. God calls you together a priesthood in 1 Peter 2.9. We are a priesthood. Like together we're a priesthood. Jesus' church is a priesthood. We are together consecrated and ordained to this office. All of us. Edmund Clowney has a wonderful quote when he says, All Christians called to belong to Christ and equipped to serve Him hold office in the church. That office receives public recognition when a believer makes a public profession of faith and is welcomed into the church. The vows that are exchanged are an induction into an office that angels might envy. Christ's calling to bear His name before the world. Like they want to do it. 
but that's your office. It means God has called you to himself. You didn't just volunteer for service. God reached down and changed your heart and gave you faith. It means that you were washed and your baptism symbolized your new birth. It means you were clothed with the splendid garments of Jesus' righteousness. It means you were anointed with the Holy Spirit, equipped and endowed to live as a follower of Christ, that beautiful oil symbolizing who indwells you. It means you have a sufficient sacrifice. If you thought there was a lot of blood back then, Jesus' sacrifice is more than sufficient. We go back to it every single day. It means that you enjoy a meal in God's presence, and we celebrate it in the Lord's Supper to ascend to heaven. All of you, whether you're young or old, if you've made profession of faith, you are an officer in the church as a kingdom of priests. And it means your ears are washed with the blood and are dedicated to hearing God's word. And it means your hands are washed with the blood and dedicated to doing what God wants you to do. It means that your feet are washed with the blood and devoted to the pathway God wants you to walk. It means morning and evening as a whole burnt offering. You ascend to heaven. It means, as Romans 12 says, you are a living sacrifice, giving yourself wholly to God. It means you're going to fail, but the blood of Christ is sufficient for you. It means you enter into worship as a priest. You represent a world in need and sin. And you declare Jesus' merciful gospel to all people that you were once in darkness and now you're in light. That's what a priesthood does. What does that mean for the officers? On, On October the 31st, we'll ordain four elders, Jamie, Michael, David, William, and Kurt, two deacons, Daniel and Andrew. A few things I just want to say. First, we're ordaining none of them as a priest or a high priest. And some branches of the church speak of that way. We're very careful. We want nothing in any way to challenge our unique high priest who daily intercedes for us. May you love him for that. The fact we have officers does not detract from all of your office as a Christian. And I like what Mark Deaver says. What is extraordinary about the biblical functions and qualifications of elders is that they are not that extraordinary. (laughs) Their character and roles are just the character and roles we're all doing in various ways. They do it in a unique office capacity. We all do it in a general capacity. What we're saying is recognizing that God has called them and gifted them in a unique way in our midst and matured them in a unique way in our midst to lead us in being who he's called us to be to lead us. And so we look at this, and even as a tabernacle couldn't function until the priests were inaugurated or ordained, Ephesians 5 says, for a well-organized, functioning, local, healthy body of believers, Jesus commends to them officers, but why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry that we all be built up in the faith, to love the gospel more, and to be more beneficial to the world. And so on the 31st of October, we will set apart these men for the task. We'll admit them into the office 
and will invest them with the authority to serve us in this role. And it's not going to take a whole week. And it's not going to require a whole lot of bloodshed. It's so much simpler because we live in the time of fulfillment. They're going to make some vows. We're going to lay our hands on them. And we're going to recognize God separating them for the task in our midst. And when they fail, they go back to the blood of Christ every day. And so I want you to think through that in mind. That as we do so, Jesus is caring for us as a high priest. As you do so, Jesus is separating these men to serve us and lead us. As we do so, I want you to see that God's aim is to dwell in our midst. Like, that's the point of the blood of Christ, to dwell with you. As we do so, I want you to hear God's signature over your life. I am the Lord your God, your personal, loving, redeeming, sovereign Lord. And as we do so, I want us to renew our sense that we are a priesthood led by officers, that we might be who Jesus has called us to be, because this world needs such a glorious gospel and a regular, daily, constant intercession by a high priest who truly is sufficient for sinners. And God's people said, Amen.